Today is Wednesday, January 27th. The title for our devotional is The Big Picture of Scripture. In these few verses here, Paul quotes a lot of Scripture. Let's read Romans 15, 1-13 again. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak, and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but, as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. Then Paul concludes in verse 13, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Let's work backwards through these references. In verses 9 through 12, Paul looks back at the words of the prophets in the Old Testament scriptures and sees that this has always been the plan. It's almost as if he has this aha moment and realizes what has been there all along, but he has been overlooking. He points to 2 Samuel 22:50. Also, this text is found in Psalm 18:49. He points also to Deuteronomy 32:43. Psalm 117.1, and finally to Isaiah 11.10. All of these texts indicate that it has always been God's plan to include the Gentiles, that is, all the nations, into his people. Yesterday, we looked at the reference in verse 3 to Psalm 69. In verse 4, Paul says something that we could easily overlook. Remember, he's writing to a group of house churches consisting of Jews and Gentiles in Rome. Previously, the scriptures would have only been thought of as written for the Jews. But here, he says, they are for our instruction. The scriptures are now for the instruction of all peoples, Jews and Gentiles. They should all alike look to the scriptures and through the endurance and encouragement they find there, find hope. Here's what he means by that. In the opening act of God's redemption plan, he calls Abraham and tells him that he will be a blessing to all the families of the earth. Check out Genesis 12:3 for that. Then for centuries, God focuses in on one group of people, the Israelites. Generation after generation go by and they see glimpses of this promise being fulfilled and their hope being vindicated. Characters like Joseph, David, Daniel seem like great candidates, but all of them fall short of truly becoming a blessing to all the families of the earth. Then at long last, after all these long years, when many had lost hope, Jesus comes onto the scene and fulfills this promise, confirming that God's word is good. 
he will fulfill what he promises to do. Because of this, Paul and his readers can have a confident assurance that these groups, with serious disagreement, will be united. For additional content today, I've included a portion of the Bible Project podcast where the Bible Project guys are doing a helpful breakdown of the big story of Scripture, much longer than I just did, and the theme of the redemption of all nations throughout. Enjoy. All right, Tim, here we are. Here we are. We are talking about family. We are trying to land the plane. Probably have two more episodes left. Yeah, we think. We think. (laughs) We'll see how it goes. It depends on how many questions you ask, John. (laughs) (laughs) So this theme of the family of God, let me try a really quick recap. So the story of the Bible is about God creating humanity to be his partners, his image. And in order to do that we uh, need to be unified. And it's because while I singularly represent the image of God in some way, Mm -hmm. the reality is much more rich in that Mm. all humanity together Mm -hmm. create the image of God. Mm -hmm. And we get a taste of that in in this poem in Genesis 1, where the image of God is both male and female, not one or the other. Yeah, and and applies to the larger species of humanity— Adam, Adam is made in the image of God, but Adam consists of a diversity of creatures, mm-hmm. namely male and female. Yeah. So uh, it's uh, they both individually, but together in their unified state, are the image of God together. And both of those aspects of the image of God are really important. This unity is corrupted almost immediately as male and female. Yeah can't trust each other, blame each other. It's actually the first casualty noted in the Garden of Eden narrative, even before the rupture in their relationship with God is mentioned. Mm. The first thing is that they hide from their bodies from each other. Their unity is lost. So the family is broken. Yeah. The family, the human family Mm -hmm. is broken in half. The other thing about being the image of God is to multiply and subdue Mm. the earth. Yeah. And so as humanity multiplies, has babies, those babies have babies, there's going to eventually become tribes Mm -hmm. and groups of tribes, which become nations. Mm -hmm. And so you get this picture of if everyone is the image of God together collectively, there needs to be a unity amongst Mm -hmm. all the diversity Mm -hmm. that's going to come about through multiplication. Yeah. Or what was true of male and female as both distinct and yet one human image of God together in in Genesis 1, if that's true for those two, the logic of the narrative is the call is also true for all of their descendants who are all very different from each other, but the same ideal still holds, that they are together one image of God, creating this ideal of unity for the whole human family. So this is the ideal that's presented in the Bible, but the story actually goes on to show that mm-hmm. every generation mm-hmm. just continues this brokenness. Yeah. Yeah, and and the fracturing, the rivalry and rupture of relationship between brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers and husbands and wives 
it's like one of the main things going on in the, especially the book of Genesis. In the book of Genesis, especially these first few chapters are really interested in what brothers become what nations. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. And it creates this map of basically here's all the nations and all the tribes Mm. and we were once all brothers, Mm. but now you're going to, as you get into the narrative, these are all going to become enemies of each other. Yeah, each generation just fractures even more. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. However, there is one early attempt at the human family to reunify itself, but not around... Being the image of God. Not around being the image of God. It's rather to exalt the name of one particular city and one particular place, and that's what Babylon is. Babylon. And God says, you know, humans are pretty amazing creatures. Yeah. And if I let them kind of continue on this path of unity... Hmm. It's going to be a mess. Yeah. If this is what they have begun to do, nothing will be inaccessible for them. And so God scatters them. Yeah. And then out of this scattering of the nations, God chooses one family. Mm. And this is where we start talking about the idea of election. Yes. Electing one family, not because that family is better than any other family, Not to create more sibling rivalry of sorts, right? but because God wants to use that family as an instrument to bring mm-hmm. the Eden blessing back mm-hmm. to the mm-hmm. rest of the world. Which follows with the logic of having a human image of God be the bearer of God's image and presence. Back on page one. Mm. That's what, what humans were to be to all creation. Now he's choosing one particular family to be to the rest of humanity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This family is going to become the nation of Israel. Yeah. The calling of this family, though, begins with Abraham. Yeah. And we actually see that Abraham's family, the book of Genesis is what, four generations of Abraham's family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's constant rivalries yeah. even within his family. Correct. Yes. Between siblings. Yes. Yeah. And then this family becomes a nation. They become slaves in Egypt. And this mm-hmm. is where the book of Exodus begins. Mm-hmm. God rescues them and then calls them to a covenant partnership again as this family. Yep, to be his representatives to the rest of the nations. Yeah. A kingdom of priests is the phrase, yeah. Yeah. And I think where I started getting kind of tripped up is this theme of then, if this is in the DNA of this theme, which is now go and bring unity to all the sibling mm. nations. Mm-hmm. That doesn't seem to be the story that unfolds. The story mm. that unfolds is go wipe out these other nations out of the land. Oh, oh, you're talking about Israel. Israel. Oh, I understand. Well, sure. I guess one one way to say is they are to be this model family. Mm-hmm. And so the laws of the Torah, now that humans are outside of Eden and living in the midst of severely broken, fractured families, the laws of the Torah are like a triage <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. effort. To create a unified federation of tribes. The family manifesto. Yeah, family manifesto. Trying to make the best of a bad situation, namely the human condition within Israel. So they are to become this beacon, a priestly beacon of of what the family of God could be once it's magnified out to include all the other nations. But the issue you just raised was about, yeah, how in the narratives of Joshua, Mm -hmm. when God calls his people... Back to the land promised Abraham. These are their siblings. Yeah. There's a bunch of descendants from uh, the line of Ham there. Mm-hmm. And specifically f- through Ham's grandson, I think his grandson, hmm. uh, Canaan. 
Okay. Canaan. And so, yeah, that's right. So essentially through design patterns, what the narrator of Deuteronomy and Joshua are trying to show us is that the Canaanites who are in the land when the Israelites show up are another iteration of the generation of the flood who mm. is corrupting the land through violence and bloodshed. So there needs to be another flood of sorts. Yes. And it's why all of the language of the battle commissionings in Deuteronomy and Joshua use the language of the flood story. Hmm. They're to go in and cut off flesh from the land to bring an end to. They didn't leave any living or breathing thing. Mm-hmm. All of these phrases in the book of Joshua come from the flood narrative. Hmm. And so I'm just saying on the narrative logic, okay. it's presenting that part of the family, the human family, as uh, being beyond the point of return, so mm. to speak. It's portrayed on analogy to the generation of the flood. I see. So I personally resonate with all of the tensions <laughs> that yeah. the, the, the Canaanite conquest raises. I, I'm not saying that personally, but I'm also trying to put my issues aside and just hear what the authors are trying to communicate. The authors are trying to communicate, yes, these are brothers, but like the generation of humans that became so violent that they were wiped out with the flood. Yeah. There's a sense of they. this has gone too far. They need to go. Yeah. So God hands them over to the logical outcome of their choices. And we just got done talking about oh, yeah. all of that yes, in a previous in, podcast series. Yep. On, God's on, on the anger of God. Yeah. But another piece is that the Israelites are going to go into the land and then become just like the Canaanites that they fought against. All of a sudden, the Israelites become like the generation of the flood, and they Babylon need to be wiped out. And Babylon becomes the new flood that comes in to yeah. take them out. But the point is, we're kind of, we're working other biblical themes in right here now. Okay, so I brought that up just to say that feels like a hiccup in this yeah. whole family theme. Yeah. Yeah. You're kind of like, I'm ready for cool. Let's all get along now. Yes. Instead, yeah. we're not getting along. More conflict. And in fact, Israel is not acting like God's yeah. image, representing what a family of God looks like. And Babylon comes mm-hmm. and takes them out. But then we talked about the prophet Isaiah mm-hmm. still hoping for this time when all nations will stream up. Yeah. To a new Eden. To new Eden. Yeah. And we'll learn about the way of God and and there will be this this unity. And I love that image. And, and fast forward, I think we'll talk about this later, but that same image appears in Revelation where all the kings yeah. Yeah. come together and there's just like everyone's diversity comes in mm-hmm. a unified way. Which is really beautiful. And recall, it's very brief in our conversation, but the book of Isaiah culminates in um, the last 15 or so chapters by also saying on top of that high new Jerusalem, new Eden, God's going to exalt a servant, somebody called the servant, and everybody will rally to that servant. And then that servant turns out to be the one who is in his exalted place suffering and dying for all of the violence and uh, evil done by all of these sibling rivals who are now returning, so to speak, back to the mountain. So it's a pretty epic picture. The reconciliation of the nations happens because of the death and the exaltation of the suffering servant. That's how the book of Isaiah works. Which leads us right into Jesus. Yeah. And in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is shown through a genealogy to be in the family of Abraham, mm-hmm. even more specifically the family of David, mm-hmm. um, where this this servant, this yeah. this Messiah king will come from. Yep. And lo and behold, all these Canaanite women in his genealogy. <laughs> yeah. And we looked at that, <laughs> yeah. how, yeah, there's mm-hmm. this strange diversity 
mm-hmm. in his own genealogy. Yeah. Uh, we also looked at how Jesus just thought about family. Um, mm-hmm. There's kind of that intense scene where his his flesh and blood, mm-hmm. you know, his kin come, mm-hmm. and they want to hang out with him, talk to him, and Jesus is like. You know, my real family uh, is... Yeah, those who do the will of God. Yeah. He, yeah. And so he seems really interested in not just being about family that he was born into, mm-hmm. but a bigger family. Yeah. However, we also looked at how Jesus' focus was clearly on Israel. Correct. That he saw himself as coming to... Hmm. to serve and hmm. to teach. To f- and fulfill, as, as he as he says in Matthew, to fulfill the mission of the calling of Abraham's family in the first place. Yeah. yeah. And he goes out of his way to make sure that he stays focused on Israel. Correct. And we looked at that. Yep. In fact, he avoids, for the most part, being around non-Israelites, but Matthew's gospel that we looked at includes all these stories where non-Israelites just keep coming to him. <laughs> yeah. So even though Jesus yeah. has this laser focus on Israel, all these other people from other nations Mm -hmm. get in the mix. Just kind of like how all these women from other nations get in the mix of his genealogy. Yeah, that's right. There's just this this magnetism. Yeah, it's just keeping the drumbeat in the background saying, remember, even though this is all about Israel, a story that's all about Israel is at the same time a story about all humanity. Because it's all about Israel so that they can bless all of humanity. That's the logic logic of election. Biblical election is about one being chosen for and on behalf of the many. So after his resurrection... He's put an end of sorts to this intense focus on just the family of Israel, because then he commissions Mm. his disciples to go out to the rest of Israel, but then also to Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. Yeah. Yeah. So he has shown Israel what it is to be a faithful covenant partner, to be the to be the family of God, hmm. and now yeah, take well, that out. And even more specifically, his claim and what the Gospels are saying is he was the, that faithful Israelite mm-hmm. who in his own person embodied the family of Abraham, surrendering itself fully to God and God's purposes so that the mission to the nations can finally take its next step. And it does. And there's mm-hmm. this cool moment where all of these Jewish people people mm-hmm. are together mm-hmm. who are deciding we're going to we're going to follow Jesus and his vision for Israel mm-hmm. to be the true Israel the true family of God to be blessing to the nations and then God's spirit comes down mm-hmm. and they start talking in all these different languages and this is a moment where <clears throat> Jewish people from all over the world have yeah. come back to Jerusalem on yeah. pilgrimage, right? Because it's right. Pentecost. Correct, yeah. So they're coming to do what, like uh, ritual sacrifices and stuff. Mm. And to bring their offerings. It's bring their the first, offerings. First fruits, first fruits. Of, of the spring harvest. So they're all there. People speak all different language. Group of Je- Jewish Jesus followers are all of a sudden speaking in all their language. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of this reversal of Babylon. Yes, yeah. And it's this moment where... The family is just breaking out even, it's growing even larger. Yeah, yeah. It multiplies. Yeah. And then a Roman centurion, <laughs> a non-Jewish mm-hmm. man mm-hmm. who follows Yahweh. Mm-hmm. Yep. He's down for the God of Israel. Yeah. Yeah. He has a vision and he meets Peter, one of Jesus's apostles, mm. 
And Peter has a vision that this is the kind of crazy vision where a tarp comes down, all these unclean animals are on it. Yeah. The yeah. unclean animals are part of the covenant requirements of Israel. Yeah. That set them apart from the other nations. Yeah. Yeah. Which, by the way, is a bit of a, that's kind of this strange thing where it's like, you are to bring unity to all the nations, Mm. but there's going to be parts of my covenant law that actually keep you separated, Mm -hmm. very cleanly separated. Totally. Yeah. Be interesting to talk a little bit more about that, but but maybe that ship sailed. But anyways, that becomes a sticking point because if... Mm-hmm, if non-Jewish mm-hmm. people like this Roman centurion are mm-hmm. going to be folded into the family, yeah. then do they need to follow all of these these covenant laws mm-hmm. that kept Israel separate mm-hmm. and show that they were the family of God? Yeah. Uh, because some of these are going to require a pretty big lift to change yeah. your life. Yeah. Circumcision. For example. <laughs> For example. <laughs> yeah, at least for 50% of the family. <laughs> yeah. Whatever, for the men in the family. Uh, but, yeah. but your diet... Yeah. Um, yeah. Sabbath. Calendar. And then the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. So those are the big three. Yeah. But here's the thing. If you're going to make a radical decision to follow the God of the universe and be mm. part of his family, mm-hmm. you can be make will- some adjustments. Be willing to make some adjustments. <laughs> <laughs> right? Totally. Yeah. You can kind of imagine yep. that yeah. the story yeah. would continue and be like, yeah, so That's do right. these things too. And there's precedent in the scriptures of Israel that circumcision was how members of the non-chosen mm, that's right. lines were brought into the family of Abraham. Right. I- Ishmael is the is kind of the that's icon right. of that in Genesis 17. Yeah. So this is how God has already provided for people who aren't of the chosen family to be become part of it. Yeah. Makes good sense. It makes good sense. But instead, Peter has a vision where God shows him all these unclean animals and he yeah. says, Peter, kill and eat. Mm-hmm. And what you pointed out was... Peter didn't change his diet. Yes, that's right. This isn't God setting aside the kosher food laws for Christians, so to speak. That's not what Peter's vision is about. Peter's vision isn't like, hey, Jewish people, when you say for Christians, you mean for for Jewish Christians? Messianic Jews. Messianic Jews. Yeah, Messianic Jews. Um, That, yeah, you still have this heritage. Mm -hmm. And it's an analogy, it's a metaphor for the inclusion of... Gentiles into the family of God. Because they were considered unclean. Mm -hmm. Like these animals were considered unclean. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't dare eat these animals, Peter, right? Right. In the same way you wouldn't eat with a Gentile. Yeah. Well, this is all changing. Yeah. Uh, Kill and eat. (laughs) And, uh, And so this Roman centurion gets part of the family. Yeah. The Holy Spirit comes and does a Pentecost type of move and appearance, but with all these non-Israelites. So here's the problem now. What is this Jewish messianic thing supposed to do with the fact that non-Jewish people are getting folded in? Yeah. Cornelius just got included in the family and none of his household were circumcised and none of them eat kosher. And they can't argue with it because the Spirit of God was like evidently doing it. Yep. That's the the conundrum. That's the conundrum. So they do a powwow in Jerusalem, all the leaders, and what they decide is that the Spirit is telling them that non-Jewish followers of Jesus do not need to get circumcised and don't need to follow all of the rules. Mm. They do say at this moment... Don't eat animals with the blood still in them. Mm-hmm. That's a kosher thing. Mm-hmm. Like, like, tell them not to do that. <laughs> but otherwise... And don't have meat that's like slaughtered or butchered in idol temples. 
Mm-hmm. Again, I just want to draw attention to the logic of their discussion. This is Acts chapter 15, which is from the last episode so yeah. of the series. But their logic is they see what the Holy Spirit has done, so experience. Mm-hmm. Then they go to their Bibles, and what they see, James notices a passage in the prophets that strikes him in a new way in light of the things that the Holy Spirit is doing. Mm. And he sees like, oh, wow, yes, the whole point has been for someone from the line of David to come and to rebuild a house that all of humanity will come and seek the Lord, all the nations. And James says, it's happening. And so who are we to argue with the Holy Spirit? <laughs> so it's not, again, it's not just their experience. It's that they go back and they can see the significant, new significance mm. to passages they've been reading for their whole lives. And then they put it all, all together. And what, what they say in the letter at the end of this, it's like we didn't draw attention to this in the last episode. The conclusion is the apostles with a unified voice say, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us mm-hmm. to lay no further burden on the Gentiles than these essentials. And that's the things. No food, sacrificed idols, no things with the blood, and don't have sex with somebody you're not married to. But that little phrase, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Yeah. And what they're referring to is the big like debate and argument they just had. Oh, fascinating? yeah. The us. Yeah. They heard stories about what God was doing. They opened their Bibles. They had a Bible study. Then they had a hefty discussion. <laughs> they come to a conclusion together. And how he summarizes all that is, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Mm. It's always struck me yeah. that they see the Spirit working in the middle of all storytelling, Bible study, Bible study and debate. <laughs> yeah. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit, according cool. to the apostles. I remember you brought that up uh, years ago when we did the Holy Spirit. Oh, sure. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, series. Yeah. So what's interesting is that these things that they tell the Gentiles to do, the non-Israelites to do, when you get into the letters of Paul, you see... Paul doesn't. Paul doesn't even honor these things. He thinks it's fine to eat food that's been sacrificed in idol temple. (laughs) Yeah. The whole point is that the book of Acts depicts the leaders of the Jesus movement as growing in their awareness of God's purposes for all the nations. There's so many cultural hurdles that it's taking them a while to clue in. Yeah. And this is a really important moment because this is where the family of God, it's crossed the boundary line that that has existed. When we went from Babylon down to just one family. Right. This is the moment. Back at the first 10 pages of the Bible. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. This is the moment where we go now from the one family of Abraham and we're going out. We're going back out. And, And there's been little, there's been movements in that direction along the way, but this is like, here we go. That thing that God said, Game Abraham, on. you're going to bless the nations. Yeah. Like the the fruit is now That's right. budding. Yeah. And so it's game on. Like mm-hmm. at the book of Acts is all these yes. Gentile Roman citizens and all sorts of other people yeah. being folded into the family. Yeah. So now you have this really diverse family mm-hmm. that all follow Jesus, this Jewish man who uh, has fulfilled the calling of the Israelite people to be the covenant partners of God to bring the blessing to the nations. That's it. And here we are. How are all these people now going to be the family of God? Yeah. So one thing we could do is just go throughout the book of Acts. And we actually have already done that in a series of videos and in a whole podcast series. Yeah. So that's back in the archive where we walk through. And what really struck me about all those conversations was how obsessed Paul was with unity. Yes. Yes. Good. Okay. So, uh, let's go right there.
For reflection time today, think of the big story of Scripture. What would it have been like to live in the time of David, roughly 900 BC, waiting, hoping that he would be the Messiah, the one to fulfill God's promise to Abraham? Then think of the disappointment when you realize that it wasn't him. Think of what it must have been like to live in the exile during the time of Daniel, roughly 5400 BC. First, you're in exile. How can the Messiah possibly come as a blessing to all the nations there? Think of the hopelessness the first century Jews must have been experiencing waiting for God's promise to come true after 400 years of living in the land of Israel yet again and nothing happening, God basically being silent in the intertestamental period. In the midst of some of the more hopeless situations in the church, we would do well to remember that through endurance and the encouragement that we find in Scripture, there is always hope. God's promises have never failed, and his promise to make one church out of the nations will not fail, in spite of our many differences and disagreements that we face today.